Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by APT Capital Group, where Kyle and Lalita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, let's get into our show. Today, we have Shannon Robnett here with us. Shannon, thanks for being here. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. Before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Shannon. Shannon has been in the real estate industry for over 40 years. He has been involved from start to finish on over $200 million in construction projects ranging from almost all asset classes possible. Shannon and his team have also streamlined the ground up process, making it a much lucrative product to invest in. Sounds like we have a ground-up expert in our hands, so we can't wait to dive into the details of that. But first, Shannon, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Sure. You know, I I have really been involved in real estate for 40 years. Uh, I grew up in a family that real estate was what they did. My mom was a third-generation realtor, and my dad was a commercial contractor, and we worked on commercial all my life. We built police stations, fire stations. In my career, I built schools, I built uh, apartment complexes, I built industrial. And, you know, the reality is that it took me a while, even with the construction background that I have, to figure out what was really going on in converting the sticks and stones of the construction project to the income producing property and the value that's created by stabilizing the project. And it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I really figured out the value that can be created. The original value add is in the creation, taking just a raw piece of land, putting together the project and creating the cash flow. And that's really what I've been involved with for the last 25 years in my own companies. And like you said, I've done over $200 million where I've been either the buyer or the seller. So that's just, uh, that's kind of what we're involved in and we're having a blast with it. Nice. What is it ultimately that appeals to you to ground up versus all the other asset classes out there? There's two things. One, I I love creating, right? My wife tells me I love making a mess. And I, I think that's kind of the same as construction. It's a mess for a while before it becomes something. But it's also really the inherent safety that's involved in it. Let's talk about the creation. I love creating. I love coming up with something. I love seeing problems. I love looking at a community that that lacks a certain asset class and being able to bring that to market, have that successfully stabilized, have that become a part of the community and be successful. I look at stuff that I built 40 years ago or 20 years ago that is still being used, that has really become an iconic part of the part of the community. But there's also the safety that's involved. You know, when you look at a, a typical ground up, everybody goes, well, there's so much risk involved. You know, it's about mitigating that risk. It's about understanding that risk, but it's also about the product that you get at the end. And when you're properly deploying capital in a risk mitigated situation with a, with an experienced development group on ground up, there's nothing that's going to get you a bigger return 
in your initial couple of years that's going to last long term and keep your expenses in line like new construction will. What are some ways that you can reduce your risk that you were just mentioning right there? Part of what is going on with the value add community is you're looking at somebody else's used and abused product. You know, they managed it for cash flow. They bought it 10 years ago. They rebranded it. It was the Three Palms. They called it the Oasis. They changed the paint color. They installed new carpet, but they haven't done much to it in the last 10 years. And now it's sad and it's dilapidated. And you're going to, you're going to buy that. You're going to rebrand it as well. You're going to bring it back to a solid class B from the class C that it slid to. And you're trying to make sure that you've got all your I's dotted and T's crossed, but there's so much in a building, there's so much in the expenses, there's so much in the books that you can't see that's not just inherently transparent. I mean, the parking lot's coming apart, the sidewalks are buckling because of the tree roots, and that product was built in the 70s, there's no way it complies with ADA today, and just all the headaches that are are involved in multifamily, you know, Kyle, you guys make multifamily value ads look streamlined, sexy, and like anybody can do it in their sleep. But as you know, there is so much that goes into it that that when people get involved, there's so often things that they didn't know about mold that they didn't see, tree roots that are invading sewer lines, electrical panels that are outdated that you can't just upgrade, you have to completely replace. All of those things that that really are highly technical that really affect returns and really affect your expenses, which is where the risk is in multifamily. When you're building ground up, you're building brand new. And when you look at it, you know, a typical deal is that we are working with banks that will loan somewhere between 70 and 80% loan to cost. So we're involving uh, 20% capital. So if we've got a $10 million deal, we're going to raise $2 million in capital of which I will come in as the GP for 10% of that. And we will deploy that capital. We will construct the product and we will stabilize that product. And a lot of people go, well, what happens during that time period while we're building and we're stabilizing? Are we having capital calls? Are we having cash calls? And all of that's built in. So the interest is built in. We've got, instead of an interest only period, we've got a construction interest built in. So if it's going to take us a year to build, we've usually got a two-year interest window that is built in. So we're actually creating a maintenance reserve with the rents that we're getting in the second year because we're not having to pay because all that money was borrowed at the beginning. So we're able to deploy that. So where people look at risk and they go, but what about the the interest payments, those are usually built in. So really it comes down to who is your partner that you're working with? Is your developer solid? Is your contractor solid? Those are really the risky things involved in that. And then you're deploying capital for 12 to 18 months before you have anything to rent. But the reality is, as we've seen in the disruption of the market cycle now, a 12 to 18 month window is typically what you need to be looking at for a rebrand. We've been fortunate in the last couple of years because we've been able to do that in a six month cycle, but we really need to be going back to what we know to be tried and true. And that's a 12 to 18 month lease up cycle. What are some of the challenges on the other side of it with ground up development? You know, some of the challenges are construction delays. A lot of people go, well, what do you do about rising prices? The, the thing about construction is when we start a project, we lock in all of our contracts, we purchase, we procure all of our stuff. So we're locked in on the prices that we have. The double-edged sword of that is if prices go down, 
you can be caught that way. But but we've locked in all of our prices. So now we just need to get to delivery. And that's where a lot of people struggle is because they've gone for they're new to this. So they're going with they don't have a reputation with their subcontractors or they're going with the low ball guy that's, you know, three guys in a truck and, and they can't come in and they're not able to get a, get the performance done as a lot of people struggle to deal with manpower in this in this hot market. So those are some of the challenges. But, you know, if you're going with someone that's got the reputation that's done it, that is solid in the market, that's it's not their first rodeo, as with anything, basically you're hiring them as the GC, as the developer, as the GP to be the one that smooths out those bumps for you. Yeah, I mean, that's it always comes back to the person running the deal, right? Not really the deal itself. It's the person and the experience and the track record that the person has. Where else do beginners get it wrong? I mean, you, you mentioned a couple items there, but where else do beginners get it wrong? And I'm sure there's a long list of these items. You know, timeline. I think time is the killer of most things. You know, when you're doing value add, Kyle, you guys get notified of a piece going on the market. You've got a week, right? You've got, here's your due diligence packet. You got a week, get back to us. Then we're probably going to go to highest and best. So really from three weeks, from introduction to contract, you're three weeks, maybe four weeks, right? But you're dealing with cash flow. You're dealing with things that banks are looking at and they're understanding the cash flow. You're not trying to rezone this with the city. You're not trying to do certain things. And so a lot of beginners they take and they go with that same speed and they apply that to ground up and they get in trouble because, you know, it takes six months to get a piece of property rezoned. It takes three months to get a set of plans properly vetted and drawn. It takes time to do this. And so if you get in, if you're looking to produce something as quickly as you guys can, you guys can come up with a deal you knew nothing about on Monday and be under contract on or have an LOI on the day after Thanksgiving and be looking to close by Christmas. And that doesn't happen. And that doesn't happen in the ground up world, right? We may find a piece of property that we like, and we'll put it under contract, but that due diligence timeframe is long. So when people write those short and Kyle, you know, in this business, there's two things. There's price or terms, right? So if you're wanting a long closing and you're wanting a long due diligence, you better be offering more than everybody else. If you're coming in and you want a good deal and you're ready to close in five days, you're going to try and cut that price. And a lot of people apply that to ground and they find themselves in a problem, in a predicament because they now they've got the ground, they can't get it rezoned or it won't zone for what they thought. Now they've overpaid for it. They went with the cheap guys, the cheap framers, but those guys only have three guys and you need 12. And so the project's really being delayed. Those are the kind of things that I think are, but time is the killer of just about everything on my side. So is now a good time to get started? I mean, right now we're recording it towards the end of 2020. This will come out in the beginning of 2021. But is your opinion that ground development is still a good investment right now and, and why? I do. In 2009, 10, and 11, we created about a million unit shortage in our housing market nationwide. We haven't recovered from that. Even though we've got uh, huge population shifts, you know, people moving out of San Francisco at a record number, right? Uh, Manhattan, I think I saw an article that was 13,000 vacancies in Manhattan. They're offering unprecedented concessions of two and a half months free rent in Manhattan. So we're having a population shift because now you can take your job with you and not pay 62% tax in the wonderful state of New York. But the reality is, we still have that shortage. And if we have people moving out of a certain area into an undersupplied area, 
you're going to continue to have that problem. The other thing that you're seeing, Kyle, and you can attest to this, is where where sellers are after COVID, everybody thought sellers were going to get softer on their price because COVID said we're going to have more vacancy. You know, you're going to have trouble paying rent. You look at what the news media said, you're all dead. All of us syndicators are dead. We lost everything. Bankruptcy courts are, are going to start before eviction courts. But that didn't happen. And so sellers are sitting there going, well, I must have one of the anomaly properties. Buyers of multifamily properties sitting there going, well, but the bank's going to require me to have additional reserves on hand. So I've got to have more capital pushing my returns down. I can't pay as much. So buyers and sellers want up farther apart on existing property because of COVID rather than closer together. And we're still having problems satisfying the need that's out there. So what I look at is that actually now is even a better time because the demand for the next for product over the next 24 to 36 months is going to skyrocket in areas like Austin, Texas. It's going to go nuts, as we're already seeing in North Carolina, where I do most of my business in Boise, Idaho. We're actually coming unglued where we're at because of the volume of people that are moving in here at an unprecedented rate, that you're going to continue to see a tremendous expansion into those marketplaces that's going to provide phenomenal opportunity because the value add is in in a lot of those places is overplayed. Mm -hmm. Yep. Makes sense. So if you want to get started in ground up development, where do you get started? What's the first thing you would tell someone? Because it's, it's not one of those things where you can just hop right in and get into, right? There's just so many different things going on and a lot of moving pieces. So what type of advice do you give someone that wants to get started in this space? Go to Home Depot, buy a hammer and smash your fingers. Um, <laughs> now, you know, the reality is ground up development's not, it's not just something you get started in, but I would recommend that they do probably very similar things that, that somebody would do if, if they came to you and said, hey, I, I want to be a GP someday. I would say, get with people to do, see what's going on, see how you can create value. Make sure that you are the guy that people are able to come to because you have you're able to find ground or you're able to put put value on what you do. But ground up really starts with the ground. And so if you're educating yourself on a certain area, you're going to want to continue that. You're going to want to dig in, understand your marketplace because ground up is, is a slower moving beast. It's more intensive, but you're really going to want to see that, that you are solid in your numbers, right? where all ground up starts is with the ground. So if you're able to come into contact with someone that's got a piece of multifamily ground that doesn't quite know what they want to do with it, and you're able to get with somebody that, that understands ground up, then you're bringing the value and you're going to be able to see what happens next. But there's, there's moving pieces and parts there that you really need to be a little bit more of an experienced developer in order to pull that off. Banks look at value adds and they go, hey, Kyle, Back when you were doing your very first one, the bank looked at the asset more than they looked at you because they saw that there was cash flow. And even if you went a little sideways, they could still see where they would be able to recoup their money. With ground up, they're really weighing heavy on the developer. They're really weighing heavy on the on the GC team. And they're really weighing heavy on the syndicator that had done this prior. But the reward on that is, I mean, the reward on that is phenomenal in the first couple of years. Yep. So it looks like you and you mentioned earlier, you've developed multiple different types of asset classes, office buildings, fire stations, police stations. How do you pick your next project? And do you prefer one over the other? 
you know, so what I pick is I pick my market. So I've stayed in the Boise market for 25 years. And before you poo-poo the Boise market, Google it. We've hit every top I 10 love it. that it is. We're one of the fastest growing areas around. We've got a quality of life that'll blow your mind. I mean, day after Thanksgiving, I'm driving 45 minutes from my house to my to the local ski hill, right? But beyond that, I look at what's needed, right? And this is the beautiful thing with being a ground up developer. I can look at what's needed. We have 0% vacancy rate, 0% vacancy rate right now. We have 1% vacancy rate in Nampa. So I know we're in desperate need of industrial on that front, right? So I can go develop what's needed because I'm not, when you're doing value add, you're limited to what is available in that market for sale. I'm limited to what ground is available to create something new. So I look at I look at the drawdown and I look at it and go, we're out of industrial ground or projects. We're out of multifamily. We need some office over here. So I don't have to be a fortune teller. I just need to be plugged into the marketplace and know where there's need. And then I can look at it. And instead of trying to say, do the equation like you guys do, where you take you take the the value that you have there and you run that balance between what do I have to pay for it? What can I squeeze out of it? What do I got to put into it for CapEx to make that happen? And you're running that razor thin line, whether people want to admit it or not, it gets kind of dicey in there a little bit. I look at it and I know what the rents are because I know what people just paid for it. I know what my construction costs are and I know where the ground is. So all I have to do is assemble those things and the profit margins in there are usually in the high 20s, mid 30s. And so we're not trying to change people's perception of the Oasis to the Three Palms, to the Tropicana, or whatever we want to call it. We're simply creating something that is needed and missing in the marketplace. And so by focusing on our market and being hyper-focused on Idaho, we've been able to do that and be able to just talk with our realtors that know, hey, I've got a guy that's looking for industrial office space. You know, we've been hitting multifamily pretty hard. We're breaking ground on another 200 units We'll probably do 400 units in 21. We did about 220, but we're also going to do almost 200,000 square feet of industrial space because that market has lagged so far behind. And now there's there's just absolutely a desperate need for that, which supply and demand, right, Kyle? Yep. Awesome. Lalita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? I am. This podcast is sponsored by Bullpen. Bullpen is an online marketplace where you can find and hire top-notch commercial real estate analysts on an hourly or part-time basis to support your deals. The analysts on Bullpen have various skill sets from offers brokerage in Topeka to multifamily development in New York and everything in between. We use Bullpen as a second set of eyes on all of our underwriting. Find your next analyst using Bullpen at www.bullpenre.com. Use our promo code APT Capital when you sign up to receive a hundred dollar credit towards your first hire. All right, Shannon, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? I think that common sense is something that you really have to use it, especially in the market we're in. You know, people go running after, well, everybody's in multifamily. I've got to buy multifamily. And the next thing you know, you've got an overheated market. So I think common sense and the reality of of what a deal has to really do, it has to pencil. And I think common sense is something that we're starting to see less and less people employ in their purchases right now. 
Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Uh, back to common sense. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was chasing a deal and I was so focused on the deal that I didn't see some of the details and I didn't see where the market had five or six other people that were getting ready to supply that and would actually be ahead of me on that delivery. And by the time I got there, I wound up losing money just buying and reselling the ground. I never did build the project because I was late to market and I was so focused on making the deal work that my common sense was set aside and I just got hyper-focused on, I got to do that deal. And it cost me dearly. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? You know, one of the things that I think I, I do well, Lalita, is I pick people. And we're really in a growth phase right now where key, strong, solid people are who we need to add to our team. Because one of the things that we do with, with our development is we vertically integrate. So we take it care of from the time we break ground and all the way through the property management. We asset manage. We don't property manage. And there, there is a difference for those of you that are listening. Look it up. There's a huge difference in how that plays out. But we're really right now, we're growing our team and, and we're looking for the people that have the commitment. They have the love of the game. They've got the strengths that, that are going to carry them through. We're looking for those exceptional people to grow and take it to the next level. Because let's just be honest. I am not the end-all, do-all in, in my organization. I'm surrounded by quality people that do more than me and do better than me. Awesome. And finally, Shannon, where can people find out more about you? You know, shannonrobnet.com or shannonrobnetindustries.com. We're all over social media. You can find us there. Love to chat with you and answer questions. So find me there and let's get on a call. Shannon, great stuff and incredibly impressive. Thanks for spending some time with us today and for being on our show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great holiday. You too. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.